Welcome to the hills and happy Father's Day to everyone. I have the delightful and unexpected opportunity to create a special Father's Day memory with my daughter today. I hope your family has the same opportunity to create some wonderful memories with your dads. Uh, we are a church in three locations. North Richmond Hills, West Fort Worth, and South Lake. And so if you're visiting for the first time or watching online, there's something about our church I'd like you to know. We have a mission and a vision. Our mission is to make and grow followers of Jesus. Our vision are the tangible ways in the next five years we seek to pursue that mission. We call it Ask for Nations and Generations. In fact, you can go to askfornationsandgenerations.org, and there you'll see we have seven audacious, measurable goals for reaching nations and for reaching the next generation in the next five years. One of those goals is to see the Bible translated into languages of five people groups that currently don't have scriptures. Next Sunday, I'm going to get to commission some of our next translators. It's going to be a special moment. We're going to celebrate campus-wide. You don't want to miss that. Another one of our nation goals is in the next five years to become a church of at least five campuses. And so I want to give you an update because many of you are aware that we've been asking you to pray over a conversation we've been having with a church in Dallas called the Skillman Church. They heard about our vision. They approached us last year about the possibility of becoming a campus of the Hills Church in Dallas. And so we've been having a conversation and entering into a process of discernment. And we made some awesome friends through the journey. The Skillman folks have hosted us for a couple of interest nights in Dallas. They've had some of our people come and preach. And it's been a wonderful time to make some great new friends. Now, that discerning process has concluded. And here's what we know at this time. At this time, the Skillman Church is not going to become a campus of the Hills Church. And so we wish God's blessings on them as they discern their future. But what's also been very clear through the process is that God has raised up so many people in Dallas that are very interested in us having a campus there. We've already started interviewing some people about positions for a Dallas campus. We're currently looking now for locations where we could think about launching such a campus. So I'm asking all of you not only to pray about this, but to let your friends in Dallas know we are going to be looking for a fourth campus in Dallas. We're very excited about that. Now remember, ask for nations and generations. I ask all of you to go to our website and regularly pray for our goals. I'm thrilled to be a part of a church that wants to attempt big things for God. Now, for the last couple of months, we've been preaching sermons on the greatest sermon ever, the Sermon on the Mount. We're calling it the Way of King Jesus. And I knew when this series began that this particular sermon I'm preaching today would be the one I looked forward to the least. And it might be the sermon that we need to hear the most. Because today we're going to look at what has become the best known verse in the Bible, and it's not John 3.16. It's Matthew 7.1, where Jesus says, do not judge. And it's popular today because we live in a society that says that no one has the right to say that anyone else is wrong. In fact, 
One of the biggest criticisms aimed at Christians and churches today is that Christians are so judgmental. Now, I find that ironic because you want to experience judgmentalism. Just get on Twitter or any other social media platform and say anything that's not in line with the current cultural norm. You will get shamed. You will get attacked. You will get canceled. Go to a college campus and challenge whatever is the popular Kool-Aid they're drinking that day and see how often you get excited, I mean, invited back. See how often you get booed and canceled and shoved off campus. I have found that champions of tolerance are the most intolerant people around. We are such a judgy culture. In fact, I said last week, we're all worriers. Worrying is so pervasive. And the only thing that might be more pervasive than worrying in human nature is judging. Now, Jesus did say, do not judge. But if by that, Jesus meant, do not exercise and do not speak of moral discernment. If that's what Jesus meant, then Jesus was a hypocrite. I'm going to put it as bluntly as I know how. Jesus judged all the time. And Jesus encouraged his disciples to do the same. So when I hear people say all the time, well, Jesus said not to judge. Jesus said not to judge. I think of the words of the brilliant philosopher Inigo Montoya from The Princess Bride who said, you keep saying that word, but I do not think you know what it means. <laughs> Is Jesus making a blanket statement to stop judging completely, or is Jesus showing the way to start judging correctly? Well, let's read our text, and then we'll unpack what I think Jesus means. Matthew 7, verses 1 through 12. Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First, take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give you a snake? If you then, though you're evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. Okay, here we go. Is there a way to judge? Now, it might get a little uncomfortable the next few minutes, but hang with me and please don't judge me until the sermon is over. See, I don't think when Jesus said, do not 
judge. That he meant the way it's often taken today. And so let me put this in what I think is a bigger context of Jesus' teaching. Here's the first big idea. That there is such a thing as right and wrong. Now, we live in a culture that values tolerance over every other virtue. We don't like to say there are right and wrong absolutes. Now, the truth is we don't completely believe that because there are some fields, engineering, medicine, accounting, where we want absolute right and wrongs. What we really mean is in the area of ethics, there is no absolute right and wrong. This is the popular Kool-Aid that the younger generations are fed today. I remember reading an article by Dr. Stephen Anderson who teaches at a, a college in Canada. He teaches an ethics course, and he had this course for seniors on ethics. And he said, you know, how can you teach ethics if you don't have a baseline of right and wrong? And so he gave his students this example, a true story of a young Afghani teenage girl who was forced into an abusive marriage, marriage to a Taliban fighter. He abused her. He kept her with his animals when she tried to run away. He mutilated her physically. I don't want to show you the picture because it's too grotesque. But he, Dr. Anderson, showed his students the picture, and then he asked the simple question, was this wrong? He thought, this is so easy. This is so obvious. He was stunned by the response. Nobody wanted to judge the actions of the people that mutilated that little girl. Uh, they made comments like, well, it seems wrong to me, but that doesn't mean it's wrong for them. It's not our job to judge other cultures. And here's what he wrote. I wondered, how can kids who have been so thoroughly basted in the language of minority rights be so numb to a clear moral offense? No matter how I prodded, they did not leave their non-judgmental position. I left that class shaking my head. It seemed clear to me that for some students, the lesson of character education initiatives is acceptance of all things at all cost. Now, while we may hope some are capable of bridging the gap between principled morality and this ethically vacuous relativism, it is evident that a good many are not. For them, the overriding message is never judge, never criticize, never take a position. There's an evangelist named J.P. Morley that works a lot with college students. And he said a couple of years ago, he was at the University of Vermont and he was in a dorm room and he was teaching about Jesus. And actually, one of the young men that lived in the room spoke up and, and gave the old, tired uh, tribe of, well, it might be right for you. It might be true for you. But that doesn't mean it's true for everybody. When Moreland got up to leave, he noticed that student had a really nice sound system. He unplugged it, picked it up, and started to walk out of the room. The student said, where are you going? He said, well, I like your sound system. I'll take it to my house. That's mine. You can't do that. Oh, you're not going to put your definition of wrong on me, are you? You might call it stealing, but I call it taking something I really want. You see, what he said to that student is, you say there are no moral absolutes. You don't believe that. You're actually a selective moral relativist. When someone does something wrong to you, suddenly you have standards of right and wrong. By the way, three weeks later, that young man became a follower of Jesus. And Moreland says he started a new ministry, stealing stereos for Jesus. <laughs> so here's the thing. Those that use Jesus' words, do not judge, to endorse never advocating moral absolutes. 
don't know much about Jesus because he did that all the time. Jesus consistently called people out for bad theology, for poor attitudes, for unkind behaviors, and selfish agendas and immoral actions. In fact, right here in the Sermon on the Mount, do you realize Jesus has been judging people? Go back to chapter 5. He said, if your righteousness does not surpass the shallow righteousness of the Pharisees, you can't enter the kingdom. He was judging their righteousness as shallow. In chapter 6, he pointed out how some people are showy with their piety, the way they they give and they fast and, and they pray to be seen by men. He is judging the insincerity of their religious practice. He's going to say next week in the Sermon on the Mount, be careful and be on guard against false prophets. Now, how can you watch out for a false prophet if you can't ever make a judgment about whether a prophet is true or false? Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount, practiced and promoted judging. And by the way, Jesus used the S word. Oh, yes, he did. He wasn't afraid to call sin what it is. He was very anti-sin. And he wasn't slow to name it, expose it, and call people to turn from it. And so, what some people call judging, I think Jesus might call the very needed practice of warning people of the consequences of disobeying God. Jesus clearly believed there is such a thing as right and wrong. And consequently, Jesus also believed it's never right to ignore wrong. Now I want to show you a picture. These two people are Nadia Popovici and Brian Hamilton. And here's the story. Nadia is a nursing or a medical student. And she's at a cocky game for the Vancouver Canucks. And she looks down. Brian is the equipment manager. And he sees a mole on his neck that looks suspicious to her. So she makes a a text. And she goes down after the game and knocks on the plexiglass window and holds up her phone. And he reads it. And it says, you need to have that mole on your neck checked out. And she left. And she felt awkward. In fact, she even said, oh, you know what? I probably should have just minded my own business. Well, Brian talked to the team doctor. They went and had it biopsied, and they found it was an aggressive melanoma. The doctor said, if you had waited too long, this would have cost you your life. Well, they didn't know Nadia. So they put on Twitter the good news of what she had done, and they found her and gave her a $10,000 scholarship for her medical expenses. What kind of person needs to be in the field of medicine if they spot something that looks like cancer, and they don't say anything? Well, listen, sin is spiritual cancer and to recognize it and then ignore it is wrong in the judgment of Jesus Jesus says it is wrong for you to ignore your own sin go back remember chapter 5 sermon on the mount particularly in the area of lust and sexual sin he says if your eye or your hand are causing you to sin pluck out that eye, cut off that hand. It is better to go lame into the kingdom of God than your whole body go into hell. Jesus said, you're making a big mistake if you ignore sin in your own life. But then Jesus also said, it's not loving to ignore spiritual cancer in somebody else's life. Now this is where it gets uncomfortable. But I just ask you to listen 
to the words of Jesus, like Luke 17, 3. If another follower sins, warn him. And if he's sorry and stops sinning, forgive him. Now, I remind you, like I did a couple of weeks ago, I didn't write the letter. I'm just the mailman. I'm just bringing you what Jesus said. If somebody sins, warn them. Or Matthew 18, 15. If your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you have won them over. You see, sometimes what we call being judgmental is actually someone with the courage to practice risky love. Because here's what Jesus knows. Listen close. When moral discernment is prohibited, only pseudo-community is practiced. Oh my, what I just said. Listen to me. You can't create true community when we pretend and we fake and we can't challenge each other to become who God wants us to be. You can't. And across the country, we are settling in many churches for fake community because we can't talk about sin. This is one reason why recovery groups work so well. You know if you're in a recovery group, they don't put up with pretending and faking. And they will call you out. Why? Because they know that nothing gets healed when it stays in the dark. And so the people that lived with Jesus, followed Jesus, discipled by Jesus, certainly understood Jesus to teach it's never right to ignore wrong. Galatians chapter 6, the Apostle Paul says, Dear brothers and sisters, if another believer is overcome by some sin, you who are godly should gently and humbly help that person back onto the right path. James, Jesus' own brother, wrote, Anyone who brings a sinner back from the wrong way will save that sinner's soul from death and will cause many sins to be forgiven. And so we learn that Jesus doesn't just want us to seek moral discernment. He wants us to speak moral discernment. That it's wrong to ignore wrong. And so now I think we're ready to understand what was Jesus saying in Matthew 7 verse 1. Jesus believes there is such a thing as right and wrong. Jesus believes it's never right to ignore wrong. So consequently, what, what Jesus is saying is that there is a right way to confront wrong. And that's what he wants us to understand. He says, the way some people confront wrong, make them out to just be a hypocrite. Okay, now remember how Jesus uses the word hypocrite in the Sermon on the Mount. We use the word hypocrite for someone who says the right thing, but does the wrong thing. But in the Sermon on the Mount, remember the person that gives and fasts and prays for show? Jesus uses the word hypocrite for someone who does the right thing, but for the wrong reason. And so when Jesus says, don't be a hypocrite, what he's saying is, don't judge for the wrong reason. You see, in Jesus' day, the religious leaders were judging, not in order to correct but in order to condemn. 
that the spiritually proud people call out sin in others. Not for restoration, but to win a competition. That by calling out sin in others, I establish that I am higher on the pecking order of God's favor than you are. They judge in order to condemn and in order to promote themselves. Jesus told a story about a Pharisee and a tax collector that went to the temple to pray. Notice the attitude of the Pharisee, Luke 18, 11. He stood by himself and he prayed this prayer. I thank you, God, that I'm not like other people, cheaters, sinners, adulterers. I'm certainly not like that tax collector. You see the spirit there? That's what Jesus means when he says, do not judge. That God has not appointed any of us to be referees that walk around looking for fouls to call on other people so we can feel better about ourselves. Judgment has no place when anything less than healing and restored fellowship is the goal. Jesus is not saying we should never judge. He's saying we should never judge in a way that writes people off. Because Jesus is going to judge how we judge. And so we need to judge like Jesus did. And I'll give you a beautiful illustration of what I mean. They brought to Jesus a woman caught in adultery. They weren't interested in restoration. They weren't interested in righteousness. If they were, they would have brought the man too. But they brought the woman. Teacher, the law says we should stone her. What should we do? Jesus writes in the sand. He stands up and says, Whoever is without sin, cast the first stone. He acknowledged she has sinned. All of you that have never sinned, condemn her. He started writing in the sand again. Everybody walked away. And notice how the story ends. Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you. He declared, Go now. Leave your life of sin. Do you see that? Moral discernment, call to righteousness, Appeal to become who God wants you to be without condemning. Jesus called out sin. But Jesus was called the friend of sinners. There is a right way to confront wrong. The way of King Jesus. Now. We're going to dig a little deeper and get real practical. So here's the thing. Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount is trying to build a community of people that are seeking the reign of God. And in any community, there are going to be people with flaws, people who make mistakes, people who get off the path. So how are we going to live in community in this reality? And here are some ways I think that we can judge the way Jesus wants us to. To judge. And here's the first thing I would say. Judge yourself more than anyone else. See, I have a particular spiritual gift I want to tell you about. 
I have an amazing acuity when it comes to seeing the flaws in you. I'm really good at that. When it comes to seeing my own flaws, my vision doesn't seem to be as sharp. And listen, church, it is our log problem that causes the non-Christian world to think the church has a love problem. I read an interesting article a few years ago. You know one of the most unhealthy things in your kitchen? Your dish rags. The things that you're using to clean your kitchen, over a third of them have enough germs in them to make you sick. And what's tragic is that many Christians say it's our job to clean up the world. And the world can't hear what we have to say because they see all the sickness in us. Right judging by Christians starts with Christians. Both personally and communally. Paul wrote to the Corinthian church. They had a man in there that was guilty of sexual sin. He needed to be disciplined. Here's what Paul said to that church. It isn't my responsibility to judge outsiders, but it certainly is your responsibility to judge those inside the church who are sinning. Listen, church. Do we want to have a greater witness and impact in our broken world? Okay, then let's let our hearts break for the sin in the church. Let's repent of all the sexual immorality in the church. All of the racism that lives in the church. All the greed and materialism that's in the church. All the political idolatry that lives in the church. Let's let our hearts break over our own sins, that we judge ourselves more than anyone else. By the way, we have a blessing here, the Holy Spirit. One of the gifts of the Holy Spirit is to convict of sin. And we need to welcome His ministry and recognize that sometimes it will come through the loving judgment of others. The Holy Spirit will use someone to convict you of sin. It's happened to me before. It happened to me recently by one of my children. <laughs> it's Father's Day. Let's get honest. I'm not perfect. And one of my children who adores me came to me not to condemn me, but to help me. They just said, Dad, sometimes when we bring you a problem, you put on your pastor hat and you try to fix it. When what we want you to do is put on your dad hat and just listen to us. Oh, my I have to admit that stung a little bit, but what a good word for me to hear. Now, let's get real honest. Are you the kind of person other people can confront? Can you receive the loving judgment of other Christians? Don't be giving what you're not welcome to receiving. We start with ourselves. But here's the thing. Even when we get that log out, even when our eye is clear, the heart of the other person that needs our insight may not be open. So, so here's the next thing Jesus says to do. Go to God before you go anywhere else. Now, Over the course of my ministry, I've been part of interventions where a few people come and meet with someone to confront them about behaviors that are destroying their lives. I've been a part of interventions that went well. I have been a part of interventions that did not go well. You know what Jesus would call those kind of interventions? He would call it Throwing pearls to pigs. See, this whole text is all about one subject. Jesus says, some people aren't ready to receive your insight. 
They're not ready to receive the sacred. In fact, they will turn on you like an angry pig and try to tear you up. We all know what that's like. We've been in those situations. So, Pastor, I'm confused. Jesus says if we're going to have a loving community, we have to speak truth to each other. But now you're saying some people may not want to hear truth, and they're going to just turn on me. What do I do? Here's what Jesus said you do. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened. Jesus says the Father loves to give good gifts to his children, especially when those gifts are used to restore other children. That's what he's talking about. The Father wants to give you good gifts so that you can restore your brother or sister who has drifted away from God. What kind of gifts might he want to give? Maybe he's going to give you wisdom about what to say or how to say it. Maybe he's going to give you a change in your heart so that you can have the right attitude before the conversation takes place. Maybe he will give a change in the other person's heart so they can listen without getting defensive. Maybe the gift will be the right moment or opportunity to be heard. I'll be honest. I'm not afraid to have hard conversations. But in my years as a young minister, sometimes I barged in with a word of truth before the person was ready to hear it. It's been amazing what I've learned. If I will pray to God, if I will bathe it in prayer, if I will take it to God, so often God will open a door and the other person will actually begin a conversation that leads into the conversation we need to have. Instead of barging in, I get invited in because the Father gave a good gift. You see, whatever gift God gives you will help you treat them like you want to be treated. That's why Jesus closes the text with these words. Do to others... What you'd want them to do to you. Have that conversation with someone the way you'd want them to talk to you. You've heard WWJD, what would Jesus do? Great question. Here's another great question. WWIW, what would I want? What helps you get up when you've messed up? And I think that's the last thing Jesus would say. That you... Judge yourself more than anyone else. You go to God before you go anywhere else. But most of all, you extend mercy more than anything else. Jesus would denounce sin, but Jesus would never deny mercy to a sinner. How could Jesus tell a woman who committed adultery that he wasn't going to condemn her? Doesn't God care about holiness? Of course. Here's why Jesus could say that. He didn't come to make that woman pay for her sins. He came to pay for her sins. I'm going to teach you four or two four-word statements out of the Bible that help. Here's the first one. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Always remember that. Jesus is not forbidding the exercise of judging in the kingdom community. He's asking us to extend mercy. He's reminding his community, and here's the second four-word phrase, there is no difference. Paul said there's no difference. We all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. You treat your brother with the same grace you want, that you need from your father. I mentioned it's Father's Day. One of my favorite stories of a father, I've got a friend named Mike, father of three 
His second child was a precious little girl named Megan who was born with very, very serious mental and physical handicaps. A delightful child, but a full-time job to take care of her. One day, his wife was gone. Mike was out in the backyard with his oldest son and with Megan. He turned his back for just a second, and there Megan was with her face in the bowl with the dog's food, eating it. He went to quickly correct her when she looked up, dog food all over her face, did like this, and put her lips out. She wanted to kiss. Now, who would kiss a dirty, smelly face like that? A good father would. Many of us learned what Jesus is teaching from our fathers. Fathers who loved us, disciplined us, corrected us, but who made it clear they were always on our side. They were for us, and we could never do anything that would escape their love. Now, I know I'm talking to somebody right now, and you're thinking, I don't have a father like that. Yes, you do. You've always had a father like that. Maybe the greatest story Jesus ever told was a father who had a rebellious son. He ran off. He wasted the father's inheritance. He soiled the father's reputation. He dishonored the father's name. But when his broken life offered him nothing but despair, he turned around and came home. And the father saw him and ran to him. Not to condemn him, but to receive him and to bring him home. You have a father like that. You've never met a sinner who needs mercy more than you do. And you've never met a sin that is a match for the grace of God. And that should change how we judge everything. Jesus is not asking us to close our eyes and ignore sin. Jesus wants us to replace the plank with the cross. The cross is the greatest intervention in history. God can't ignore sin. God must judge sin. It's why Jesus came. He lived a perfect life because God is so against sin. And he died a sinner's death because God is so for people. The judge took our judgment upon himself. This is the way the king judges. And it changes the way we look at everyone. Starting with ourselves. Because I'm talking to people right now. All over our church and all over the country. And the person you've been judging the most is you. And you need to hear the Father say today, it's time to come home. So let's pray about that. So Father, help us to hear these words of Jesus. Help us to apply them correctly. Help us to be courageous enough to stand for right, to speak against wrong. Help us to be wise enough to begin with ourselves and help us to be honest and humble enough to realize, God, how much we need mercy and how much we need grace. 
And may we always lead with the cross. And Father, I believe I'm talking right now to somebody. And they have been battling the spirit of condemnation. The enemy has told them over and over and over, you are so unworthy of the love of the Father. And Holy Spirit, I'm asking you today, please, let them hear the words of the Father. It is time to come home. We pray this in the name of the one who took our condemnation so that we could take our place at the table of God. In the name of Jesus, amen.